we're taking a break from our normal content because of everything going on with the coronavirus. There's a lot of fear, a lot of panic going around, and we wanted to address it because in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of the anxiety that a lot of people are feeling, we really need to stay calm. And so we thought, who can we ask for advice on that topic, on staying calm in the midst of crazy situations? And so we thought, who's experienced the most chaotic situations in the world? Let's get their advice. And so we brought in an American hero, a Navy SEAL who's experienced a ton of combat, which is the most chaotic environment in the world. So in this episode, you'll hear his advice and more on staying calm and reacting properly to a situation like the coronavirus. Our guest is Mike Sorelli. Mike is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL officer, a graduate of the University of Texas, and now he's a leadership instructor, author, and speaker, and strategic advisor for Echelon Front. I'll tell you more about them in a second. Mike served in the military for a long time. He served 15 years as an officer in the SEAL teams and five years in the U.S. Marine Corps as an enlisted recon Marine and scout sniper. Mike served in SEAL Team 3, Task Unit Bruiser, alongside Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. They wrote the book Extreme Ownership. With them, Mike led major combat operations that played a pivotal role in the Battle of Ramadi in 2006. Mike was also the primary leadership instructor for all officers graduating from the SEAL training pipeline. He was then selected for assignment to the Joint Special Operations Command, where he completed multiple combat deployments. Mike's a recipient of the Silver Star, six Bronze Stars, two Defense Meritorious Service Medals, and a Purple Heart. This guy is the real deal. He's a true hero, and he probably wouldn't like me to say that because he's so humble. Mike's the CEO of Echelon Front Overwatch, a company that specializes in recruiting, training, and placement of veterans from the U.S. Special Operations Forces with companies seeking leaders with an extreme ownership mindset to build their ranks and dominate on their battlefields. Mike brings incredible combat leadership experience and business acumen to the Echelon Front team, as well as unique insight and expertise on veteran transition and education programs. One thing you'll hear in the show is that Mike was a tier one operator. And what that means is he is a very, very elite man. I would say more elite than the professional athletes in our world. A tier one operator is someone on the level of SEAL Team 6 or Delta Force. And so if you know anything about those guys, they are the best of the best. You'd never know it, though, because Mike is an extremely humble man. In the show, you'll hear about the book that he just wrote called Talent War. That's coming out in the middle of 2020. I'll tell you more about that at the end, how you can buy it. And we had some minor internet issues in this conversation, so I do apologize if things sound like they're a little bit choppy. We definitely take ownership of that on our end. So here's my conversation with Mike. Mike, it's an honor to have you here, sir. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Dude, Joey, thanks for having me people are freaking out right now. There's a lot going on with this coronavirus. People are scared. They're worried. They're anxious, worried about how it'll affect them, how it'll affect the people that they love. But they're also worried about how it'll affect their jobs, the economy, their finances, and so on. And I've heard a lot of people say they're afraid that the 2008 recession is going to repeat itself. And so just a lot of panic in the air. Unfortunately, the media is feeding that fear. And so I think now more than ever, people need to hear that we have to stay calm. We need to keep a clear head. We can't let fear control us. Uh, but some people struggle with that. And so I wanted to bring you on. I wanted to get your advice as someone who's really been in the most chaotic environments in the world as a SEAL. And so my first question for you is, uh, what has your training and your combat experience taught you 
about staying calm and reacting properly during a chaotic situation? If you go back to the actual assessment and selection for special operations, which is you know our version of the hiring process, it actually screens exactly for what 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 you're describing is people that are uh, have the ability to remain calm when pushed to their thresholds, to push to their uh, their limits. Special operations thrives in what we call a VUCA environment. And what VUCA stands for is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And it takes a unique individual to remain calm when in that environment. And quite frankly, uh, during the global war on terror, our special operators were, were thrust into those uh, environments deployment after deployment after deployment. And so we look for a very unique individual that can remain calm. As you've often heard, you know, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, the co-authors of Extreme Ownership, talk about an ineffective leader versus an effective leader. An ineffective leader is the one that loses their composure during chaotic times. And when the person you're following uh, becomes chaotic, you tend to match uh, their sort of temperament. Nothing gets solved. Things get worse. With uh, effective leaders on the battlefield, and what I've seen is those ones that remain calm, it's almost like a disease in itself. We, we have a phrase in the in special operations community, calm is contagious. And if you as a leader in a position of authority are calm, your people will remain calm as well. You see a lot of people going after Trump uh, right now for what I call a version of calmness. Uh, he didn't want to invoke fear. He's remained calm. People, uh, you know, sort of characterize that as indecisiveness. I, I don't view it as that at all. Mm-hmm. The problem with people losing their composure is that the media is feeding their fears. Media is not always your friend. We learned that on the battlefield. Uh, the media was not our friend. So you got to be cautious to who you're listening to and where you're getting your information. As a whole, Joey, things aren't all that bad. You know, Structurally, people are worried about uh, the economy. Structurally, the economy is fine. This isn't a mortgage-backed security crisis of 2008. There's a, uh, a pathogen that's being spread, uh, corona, that is you know, affecting our ability to produce goods as well as uh, driving consumer uh, purchasing down because people are now you know, confined for their, to their homes uh, more or less. But guys, we're going to rebound after we get past this. Uh, the current countermeasures that the government's recommending people with, you know, safe distancing or remaining home, those are the appropriate measures to see if we can curb this as quickly as possible. But even if we're down, even if, uh, you know, productivity is down for a few months, guess what? America will bounce back. The, the world economy will uh, bounce back. This just goes back to the days of World War II in England. Remain calm and keep on. Things will be fine, guys. Can agree more with everything that you said. Do you have uh, do you have any stories about that thing that you said where calm leaders they're contagious and the opposite is absolutely true too? I automatically go back to the uh, the worst case scenarios that I had. Uh, the first worst case scenario that I had was uh, the day that uh, Michael Mansoor was uh, was killed. He was our last mission during the Battle of Ramadi. And uh, we had actually cut the size of the platoon. Half the platoon was off preparing uh, what we call these pallets with all our gear for redeployment back to the United States. So we were at half manning, which was not the, uh, the best call and something I look back on uh, frequently. So we went out with four SEALs and a few Iraqi soldiers. We occupied a position. There was another position 
uh, about 500 meters away with four SEALs and a few Iraqi soldiers. Uh, we were engaged in firefights throughout the day, supporting an army element that was clearing a very bad sector of Mahdi about midday while three, or I'm sorry, two of the other SEALs were sleeping. Mikey was awake on my sniper rifle, keeping security uh, on a, a particular sector. I was, uh, you know, dozing in and out of sleep. And uh, even though we were having conversations about midday, a grenade came over the roof. An insurgent had infiltrated close enough to our uh, position, undetected, and threw a grenade. Mikey, uh, this is a a perfect example of remaining calm, had a decision to make in in, uh, about a a second, and uh, he calmly decided to give his life for his brothers. When that grenade went off, he absorbed the majority of the blast. There's a seal to his left and a seal and myself to the uh, the right. We were both about three feet away from Mikey. And we took multiple shrapnel wounds to, uh, to the legs. Neither of us could walk. So that was three seals out of commission on that one rooftop. Wow. Only one seal was, uh, uh, was ambulatory. Uh, and he automatically got on Mikey's machine gun and started returning fire. But after that grenade went off, the Al-Qaeda insurgents launched an attack on our position to overrun it to kill the remaining uh, Americans in the, uh, the building, us. Wow. And so we're at Min Manning, even though I'm bleeding out through my legs, I was in uh, massive pain. It took me a few seconds to get composure, to block the pain out as best as possible, to assess the situation. My radio was knocked out during that, uh, that situation. There was an Iraqi soldier who was in the fetal position, just in pure shock. And I saw that he had his Motorola radio. That's what the Iraqis uh, used. And so I couldn't walk. So I crawled over to him pretty much, you know, for civilians, the equivalent of a, of a Mayday call to the other position, let him know that, you know, we had multiple casualties that we could not hold our position and they started moving to us. But, you know, that's one situation where despite pretty much everything going wrong, we had to remain calm. We had to work together to get through that attack. And ultimately all of us got off that, uh, that rooftop. And uh, that was due to Mikey's uh, sacrifice. You know, another one is, you know, the night that Adam Brown was killed. And in fact, this is the 10-year anniversary today that Adam Brown was killed in Afghanistan. There's a book called Fearless uh, about him because the guy was truly fearless. Uh, I think he didn't have a uh, a risk meter. He saw trouble and he ran right towards it without assessing it. One of his better and worst qualities. Uh, But we went into a valley in Afghanistan, and this is 2010, that no Americans had ever been in during the war. And that's, you know, years, nine years after it had, uh, had started. And uh, we got in one of the worst firefights I've ever been in. Adam was hit pretty early on during the firefight. And we had to fight our way, though we were taking fire from throughout the valley, fight our way down uh, the side of a mountain, passing down Adam's body at each sort of uh, wall. The mountain was cultivated. And so uh, it'd be cultivated for 50 uh, meters. And then there was a, about an eight foot drop cultivated for 50 meters, eight foot drop. And so at each drop, you know, even though the guys were getting fired at, you saw them calmly passing Adam's body down and treating him with, with such uh, delicacy. And I look back on that night, especially even though it was a worst case scenario and God bless the TF 160th pilots for flying into a bad situation to get us out. But the guys were, we were surrounded, like I said, taking machine gun fire from all directions and everyone remained calm. And that was very much due to uh, an amazing, uh, what we call a troop chief, E9, who had trained his unit well. And I was humbled to be on that operation to, to share the battlefield with Adam. But I mean, when you have 50 guys all calm, focusing on their roles and responsibilities to make sure that we got out safely, things, you know, things went well. 
Amazing. Yeah. Mikey's story is is unbelievable. So heroic. And Adam, I didn't know about Adam, but guys, we'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes so you guys can pick that up if you'd like to. But wow, so heroic. And it sounds like you guys just inoculate yourself to the craziness around you in combat through training. You guys were able to stay calm, stay focused on what you needed to do to get out of the situation. And so that's one thing I think people need to hear is just keep doing what you're doing. Focus on what you're doing right now. Even if the media, you know, is throwing a lot of fear around, keep doing what you're doing. You know, don't don't occupy yourself reading articles and watching the news all day. In fact, I've been telling people to shut the news off. Listen to some trusted sources, but otherwise, keep working hard. Keep taking care of your families and uh, focus on what's in front of you. Is is that what you would say to to people like that? Kind of applying those lessons to civilian life right now, who especially for people who may be more prone to fear and panic. Focus on what you can affect now. Uh, assess the situation and focus on how you can contribute to getting past these rough times. If that means staying indoors, working from home, uh, so be it. If it means that you have uh, elderly in the home and sort of uh, segregating them from the rest of the population, absolutely do. Take every uh, you know countermeasure or precaution you can. Also, during times like this, internally, Echelon Front, we're looking at what we can do, not only for our partners, but uh, individually to accelerate our performance. So if we have somewhat, let's call it a down period right now, how can I improve upon myself? You know, is that picking up a book and reading? Is it, is it writing? Is there a project at work or at home that I can, you know, move uh, closer to completion? View this as an opportunity as well. It's affecting a lot of our lives, but it also provides everything is an opportunity cost. You have to stay home. Trust me, there's a lot of things you can engage in for personal development that you could come out on the uh, the backside more prepared and better to uh, to attack the opportunities that await us. And, and remember, the, the second this thing is uh, is done or, or to the part where it's minimized, guys, that's our opportunity to come back and get this economy where it needs to uh, to be. And that's, you know, these these ebbs and flows in life are natural. Not everything can be a flow. Not everything can be an economic upturn. And we've been on a good ride. We should be thankful that we've had such a great ride up to this point. We're, we're in about a, a downturn. But that's okay. We've always recovered and we'll recover from this as well. And that's, you got to keep things in perspective. Absolutely. I have no doubt that, that we'll bounce back stronger than we were before. I want to go back to Ramadi for a second and just paint a picture for people. This was the worst place in the world to be at the time that you were there. And so just if you could paint a picture for us of, of how, how bad this city was, how chaotic it was. Absolutely. Funny enough, of the only member of Tashkent Bruiser, I'd actually been in Ramadi in 2005 as a uh, ensign. I stayed on uh, the deployment uh, a little longer since I'd met them halfway through in 2004, 2005. I stayed on and actually uh, was in uh, Ramadi for about one month in 2005. It was a bad place then. Uh, when we found out we were going back to Ramadi, you know, I sort of knew things would, would be worse. 2006, uh, Al-Qaeda pretty much owned, which is an embarrassment to the United States that we even allowed this to happen. They pretty much owned the third largest city in Iraq, which is A.R. Ramadi, located in Al-Anbar province. They owned it with pure impunity. And Ramadi, to, to put it into perspective for uh, people, the population is roughly around 400,000 citizens. Uh, there was an estimated uh, enemy force of 5,000 enemy troops, and Ramadi was their caliphate which in, law, in Islam means uh, their capital. It was, quite frankly. When we went back in, uh, when we arrived, there was a National Guard element from Pennsylvania, the 228, that had done a phenomenal job sort of isolating and containing the city 
which means they set the conditions for the next group to come in and, and try to take the city back from uh, from Al Qaeda. During that, uh, you know, their deployment, which was 14 months, they lost 100 American lives. The, these National Guard soldiers, and they did a tremendous job, and they they did truly set the conditions for the uh, the 1180, which is the uh, 11 uh, Armored Division, to come in and, and clean house. In terms of a fight. It was a one-to-one ratio. We had about 5,000 Americans. And again, there was an estimated uh, force of 5,000 enemy troops in there. And that's not a good ratio to step into a fight. You know, Joey, if you challenge me to a fight, I'm, I'm going to bring around about nine of my friends waiting <laughs> around the corner, uh, you know, for my, uh, for my call. I'm going to ensure victory. Yeah. But that's the, uh, those were the conditions, uh, you know, we faced. Things were so bad that actually a well-respected Marine in a – uh, secret intelligence report, which was leaked to the world by the media, pretty much described the situation as unwinnable. And, and that's what we were told is that Ramadi was all but lost. And I don't know why we ever say that to Americans, because history will show you that we will prove people wrong, that there is no such thing as an unwinnable situation. You know, they said the same thing about World War II, fighting a, uh, a war on two fronts against two empires, two, two strong nations. And we proved them wrong then. When we stepped in there, the situation was pretty bad. But those 5,000 Americans banded together, regardless of being in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or, or the Marine Corps, we came together. You know, we had great leadership. A gentleman named, uh, you know, at the time, Colonel Sean McFarland, who retired as a three-star general. And, and then all the way down to the ground force commanders, guys like Jocko Willink and, and Leif Babin and, and Seth Stone. I've never seen a more cohesive environment amongst the different services with one purpose, with one mission, and that was to prove the world wrong, that it wasn't unwinnable. Watching the, the Marines and the, and the Army soldiers that bore the brunt of the fight, you know, house to house and street to street, that was just a sight to, to see. I mean, those 18, 19, 20-year-olds fought their hearts out to, uh, to win that city back. Unbelievable. And the reason I wanted people to know that is because if these guys are able to go in there in the most chaotic of situations in the worst place in the world and win and remain calm while doing that and keep a clear head, then we can handle something like this. And, you know, any business leaders out there, we need to do this for our teams too. Just as Mike was describing, his leaders did for him. We need to do this for our people. Want to shift gears a little bit uh, related to a lot of panic and fear that's going around is uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm curious, how do you guys deal with uncertainty, especially in combat? Yeah, you, you know, combat is the, uh, the ultimate manner. Uh, there is nothing but uncertainty uh, on the battlefield. And you've got to learn to deal with that. You've got to learn to make decisions without all the information. We, we call it the 70% solution. So look at it this way. If I have a bit of information about where an enemy combatant and some of his troops are located, uh, I'm never going to get the 100% solution. I'm never going to get all the information. So I've got to look at all the information I do have, and I've got to make a decision based off that incomplete information to seize the opportunity in front of me. And for a lot of people, that, that is very, uh, very hard to do. Even though the military trains our people well, it doesn't take hold with everyone. Even though a SEAL makes it past uh, BUDS or SEAL training, doesn't mean they go on to be a good SEAL. And when people hit the battlefield, we, we truly see who has what it takes and who, uh, who doesn't. And again, if you don't have what it takes, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're not uh, equipped for that environment. But I, again, I had great leaders that prepared me to assess the situation 
and to make the best decision I had with the incomplete information given to me. Sometimes you have to let the, the situation develop, which is one of these right now. It may take a few weeks for this situation to develop before we have a true grasp of either how bad or how minor the problem is. In uh, our leaders, uh, you have to have faith in government, regardless of, of politics, that they're going to make the best decisions for people. I, I had a client and she came up with this term and we're going to write an art article. You have to have the assumption of positive intent. It's the assumption of positive intent that those people in, in the national uh, you know, capital region in the White House are making the decisions for what's best for our people, for the economy, uh, for the overall well-being of America. And if they put out information, if they need us to, you know, do certain things like stay home for one week, guess what? Stay home for one week. Things could be worse. Uh, again, find an opportunity to get better in your life, some area with those seven days that you have. I love that. Any other advice that you'd give, any practical tips in dealing with this situation? You, you already covered it well, but I just want to give you an opportunity to say any final things. You know, uh, I don't want to sound cavalier because, you know, lives will be taken with this uh, coronavirus, we, we know that the elderly are, are more su- uh, susceptible to that, and, and that's tragic. So, you know, we, we do need to take this seriously. We do need to all contribute. Everyone contributes to it uh, by following what our leaders say, um, not necessarily pushing back, and, and then ultimately remaining calm. You know, the runs on the supermarkets uh, don't buy more than you need. Uh, you, you know, my wife and I are not running to the, uh, you know, the Costco and stocking up for two months worth of uh, food and, and supplies. We're not going to do that to other people. Other people need to, to supply their family. So remain calm, only get what you need, take what you need, buy what you need, and, and just continue to monitor for updates of, of what our, our leaders are asking us to do. It, it's not that hard, guys. It, just remaining calm gives you perspective on, uh, on everything. And the economy, I know it hurts. And most people are inclined to go, you know, pull all their stocks out. That's actually the worst thing you can do. Uh, if you if you follow the uh, macro microeconomics, the economy will rebound. It's been a continual uptick with minor fluctuations through the past decade. We'll be fine. Let it sit. The economy will recover. This is just a small downturn. Again, it may take a few months, but everything will be okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Even looking back to the 2008 crisis, within a few years, if people just remained calm, they were going to make their money back. And uh, it's kind of unbelievable, though, because fear just controls us and people act on emotion and it's going to hurt you in the long run. There will always be people that will yell the world is ending. Even on the battlefield, there were certain SEALs that could not maintain their composure. And literally the other 16 or 17 SEALs would look at them and tell them to, well, in some rather <laughs> harsh verbiage to uh, shut up and say, hey, you're no longer a part of this equation because you can't maintain your composure. It, this is, to, to me, and I hate to, to simplify it, it's just not, it's not hard. This is not hard. Don't like keep your wits about you. Uh, assess the information based off the, the, the information you have and, and make good decisions. Simple. It's great. And I love what you said before too. We just, we need to pull together as a country. We can't be fighting against each other. We need to help each other. And so in closing out, I just wanted to ask you kind of a side question, but as a special operator, someone with your training, I'm just curious, what do you recommend that we do to prepare our families for any, any disastrous situation, not just the coronavirus, but something like a flood, a hurricane, an earthquake, a wildfire? That's a question some people asked me and uh, telling them that I was going to interview you. They were just curious 
how do you prepare for something like that? What's your recommendation? Well, you know, it also is region dependent. If you're on the West Coast in California, your earthquakes more likely. If if you're in Florida, you know, hurricanes. Uh, you know, if you're in uh, the South uh, East, flooding. So it depends on your uh, your region, but it, it's prudent to come up with plans for those contingencies. And then if you have children, make sure that they understand those plans. In terms of supplies, you know, it's always smart to have a first aid kit. Um, the depth of that first aid kit, you know, that can that, that can be a, a, a vast topic. It, again, it depends on what you're potentially facing. Always smart to have stores of uh, of water, either one uh, you know one water uh, gallon jugs stored away, rations in terms of MREs or, or meals ready to eat. That's that's not a a, a stupid thing to do, uh, and quite frankly, I do. Guns are a uh, very decisive topic in, in America. You know, I, I'm not a gun freak. I was a special operations guy and I live in Texas, believe it or not. I, more Texans are gun freaks than I am. Do I have a pistol? Do I have a rifle? Yes. Uh, that is to protect my, my, my belongings. But as long as you have some food rations, clean water, um, a first aid kit, you, you're a step ahead. But even more important is discussing with your family, hey, if this certain scenario happens, these are the steps we are going to take. And sometimes that's getting out of your general area. If you know a hurricane is coming, it's packing your family up, getting in the car and getting out of the region rather than trying to face it. Uh, as a parent, I would never put my children in that situation. If I was going to remain in the area, I'd make sure that my children with my wife get in the car and they depart the area to, to a safer environment. But it just comes down to what the military is very good at. It's contingency planning. And uh, you can never plan for a contingency far enough out. If you leave it to the last minute, you're going to be like these people that are running to the uh, the stores to to stock up on toilet paper and uh, whatever <laughs> food they can grab a hold of, which is just uh, just ridiculous. So again, know your re- region, know the most likely threats, plan for it, and then uh, you'll you'll be a lot better off than uh, than most civilians. Really good, thank you for that. And just want to give you an opportunity. Tell us about your work. What are you working on right now, and how can we support you? Love what I do with the Echelon Front team which uh, you know, our, our goal is to become, and I think we're getting there, one of the world's premier leadership training uh, firms. And due to the demand right now, it's extremely high. Uh, leadership gets us out of bed in the morning, man. It's such a vast topic. And guess what? The, principle, the very principles we teach, we screw up on a daily basis. But we're trying to get better with every day. I don't know if you knew this. I started a recruiting firm with Jocko and Leif uh, that places military leaders into, uh, into companies there's been a bad rap and it's just because people don't know much about the military anymore. Mm. You know, the 99% don't know much about the 1% what they do on a daily basis. We're, we're trying to change that narrative. We've placed some high performing veterans into companies that have already ascended to the COO of certain companies. So we're seeing great results there. We're very selective in, in the, the vets that we choose. It's all based off mindset. And because I dived into that subject of how to find talent, which is, you know, uh, there was a Harvard study that said over 50% of CEOs say that finding talent is the, the biggest challenge they face. Uh, myself and a, uh, a guy named uh, George Randall, prior army officer from the 80s and 90s, are about done with talent, how special operations wins on talent. Wow. And the focus of it is really how the special operations community assesses and selects talent into their community. Again, what, what is analogous to the hiring process for the private sector. Uh, and it's all based off attributes. We don't hire in the special operations community for uh, industry experience. 
which has sort of become the default for the private sector, which is the worst thing, one of the worst things you can do. If you find somebody with industry experience with the right mindset, absolutely hire them uh, right away. But we've, we've become very good at assessing talent based off their character out of necessity. And um, I think a lot of the general principles we talk about, uh, we try to translate it to the business world and how they can improve their hiring process. I think the book is going to be well-received. It's a fascinating topic. Uh, we're not saying that we have the, uh, you know, the answer. We have ways they can improve their, uh, their process. Literally finishing up, that's getting reviewed by DOD, the Department of Defense right now. And I'm excited to release that and see what the, the general feedback is. That's amazing. So it's called The Talent War and it's a book coming out when? At June, July timeframe we're expecting right now. Again, uh, the Department of Defense is reviewing it. We can't really move them along. They have their set process. Uh, I'd love to say I have some influence. I don't, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I was a recon Marine, went through that as, uh, assessment and selection. I was a SEAL, went through that assessment and selection. Uh, I was a tier one operator, went through that assessment and selection. I uh, had 10 combat deployments under my belt and writing this book was the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, wow. Mike, Mike don't write good. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was challenging, but I've actually improved upon myself by, by engaging in it. And actually a few of our preconceived notions going in have completely changed based off the interviews and the research that we did to write the book. You guys are humble and you're learning as you go. As a leader in a company right now, you know, I lead 40 people, I run operations for, for a business and I can totally say that what you just said is absolutely true that finding good people, trustworthy, hardworking people is, is difficult. And yeah, you can't just go down a checklist necessarily and say, oh, you, they, they have the years of experience. They have this degree. It, there's more to it than that. And I love that you guys are doing that and serving our veterans because we have you guys to thank for our freedom. And so I love that you're, you're doing that as well. Thank you. Joey, I, I appreciate that, man. I, like I, people just don't understand. They're like, but you went to war. How could you, you know, say thank you? I loved as well as the guys I worked with, we loved what we did. I wish I could have deployed uh, to war more because of the purpose behind what we thought we were doing, eradicating evil that just doesn't need to exist on this uh, this planet. Back to your, your, your statement about finding the right talent. It, it's really a two-part equation. Uh, talent plus leadership will ultimately equal victory. Once you find good talent, guess what? Half the war is complete. That's just one battle. And then you've got to uh, devote yourself to developing and cultivating them throughout their tenure in your company. And they may leave your company. You may put all this time into them and they may leave your company. But even for corporations that hire executives into the C-suite, guess what? They may have experience. They may be a proven uh, leader elsewhere. You still have to develop those senior leaders as well. It, it's a never-ending war. Absolutely. And so many companies put so many resources into you know marketing, into sales, into product development, but very few have a really cohesive plan to develop their leaders. And I love what you guys did in Tasking a Bruiser. You guys would have your most most junior uh, members of, of the task unit lead operations in the field, which says so much about Jocko's leadership, literally putting everything in the hands of these junior guys because you were training them so well. And so I think American companies need to do the same. And funny enough, one of the main themes in the book, uh, The Talent War, is uh, we talk about how CHROs and HR is you know really minimized when they should be a strategic function within companies they're they're minimized to you know either a uh, compliance function or or overhead costs but when you think about it HR is actually actually your largest revenue generating 
function. It's the one that provides talent to, like you said, accounting, marketing, sales. They don't get the love and support. They don't get capitalized upon uh, about how important their function is in keeping the company alive, filling the talent, you know, the funnel uh, to all the other uh, revenue generating uh, functions. Absolutely. And for so many companies, you know, salaries, payroll, that's the biggest line item on their, uh, you know, profit or loss sheet. So it's certainly, it's, it's a huge investment. And so, you know, why, why do it half-hearted? You got to get the right people in there. And, and that's how you win. Like you said, there's just effective leaders and ineffective leaders. There's no, no between. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. How can, uh, how can people follow you? Uh, you know, I'm on Instagram, uh, Mr. Sorelli, uh, or at Mr. Sorelli. I'm not a big social media guy. Uh, I'm not as good as JP Dinell or Jocko. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, this is, this is my own ways. I'm very resistant to letting people into like what goes on behind the Sorelli household. I didn't have a social media account. We basically weren't allowed when we were in special operations, just not, not prudent. You know, with the talent war, we're, we're going to start a page there. We're going to start a blog. That's probably the best way uh, people can follow me. And that should be released uh, midsummer uh, along with the book. And we're going to continue to expand upon this topic of how to find great people and then ultimately how to develop them into the future leaders within your companies. So important. So important. And speaking of, you know, the impact on the economy, this is going to be more important now than ever. So guys, go out and grab that book once it comes out, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes and so make it easy for you guys to, to purchase it. Mike, thank you so much for your service, man. Thanks for your time for doing this interview. Really appreciate you. Like I said before, uh, man, couldn't be more thankful for men and women like you who go out and protect our country. You are the reason that we have our freedom. So thank you so much. And Joey, thank you for having me and uh, stay calm and keep on. It was such an honor to interview Mike. And for the record, I would never challenge him to a fight. It would mean certain death. One thing that really stuck with me is that calm is contagious. And so in the midst of everything going on with the coronavirus in our world, we need to be models of keeping our composure, even when things are chaotic and unknown. And if we can do that, the people around us who are watching us will do that too. The few books that we talked about, Talent War, that's the book that Mike just wrote, and that comes out in the middle of 2020, June or July, he said. Fearless is also the other book that he mentioned. We'll have all this in the show notes for you guys, so you can just click and buy there. And then also Extreme Ownership is a phenomenal book on leadership, especially in the business world and the military, but it goes beyond that too. If you want to go to Mike's company's website, you can go to efoverwatch.com. Again, that's efoverwatch.com. And if you want to look at the parent company, which he mentioned does leadership training, that's echelonfront.com. Again, that's echelonfront.com. The story that he mentioned of Michael Monsoor, Mikey Monsoor, can also be watched on YouTube by his commanding officer, Jocko Willink. It's a really, really moving, beautiful, heroic story that I really encourage you guys to check out. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. When I was in San Diego not long ago, I actually got to go to Mikey's tomb and spend a few moments there. If you're new to Restored, we exist to help teenagers and young adults cope, heal, and grow after the trauma of their parents' divorce or separation so they can feel whole again. And of course, we're taking a break from our normal content just due to everything going on with the coronavirus. But if you'd like to find out more, you can go to restoredministry.com. Again, restoredministrymistries.com. All the resources and links that we mentioned can be found in the show notes at restoredministry.com 
slash 15. Again, that's restoredministry.com slash 15. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode has been useful. It's been helpful for you. And please go ahead and share this with someone you know who could use it. And from everyone here at Restored, we just want you to know that you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. Stay safe.